Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right. You know what time it is. Episode 45, For the Love of the Game, Let's Roll. It's your boy ATH back in the studio, episode 45 for the love of the game, and my brain is completely fried. I have watched a ridiculous amount of college basketball lately, so I'm still a little bit sluggish, uh, but that's to be expected this time of the year. I love March Madness, the drama, everything about it, and it's great. But it just reinforces the point I've made many times before that uh, if you like basketball and not just drama, the NBA is so much better. I mean, the level of play is higher. The players are better. The basketball IQ is higher. The gameplay, the rules are better. It's just a better overall game. Now, in March, it's harder to make that argument when the NBA is at a lull in the season and winding down to the playoffs and teams are sort of, you know— not mailing it in, but kind of just like, you know, not just trying to get to the end of the season. Uh, and the excitement of the NCAA tournament is at a fever pitch, but the point is still true. The NBA is a better basketball experience. Uh, it just is. It's not really debatable. Now that we have a lot to discuss with the NCAA tournament and what has transpired in the last two weeks, we're going to do that uh, a little bit later in the show. But first, a couple of things. We're going to start with the baseball season started. Uh, now, I got to rag on the MLB for a little bit for two reasons. One, Major League Baseball kicked off its season in Japan between the Mariners and the Oakland A's for two games. Not a bad idea considering how popular baseball is in Japan. But there was really very little publicity about it, and not really a lot of people knew about it. Plus, one of baseball's biggest stars, Ichiro Suzuki, decided to retire in front of his native fans while playing for the Mariners, the team he started out his MLB career with and spent most of his time in the majors with. So what time do those games between the Oakland A's and the Seattle Mariners start in Seattle? 
uh, a cool 4 a.m. local time. So basically none of Ichiro's MLB fans were able to watch his send-off. And considering that Major League Baseball is not very good at putting its highlights on social media, I mean, just way to go, MLB. You know, super smart as always. I just don't get it with them. And, and two is... So baseball decides to have its stateside opening day. day of the, what day of the week? What day of the calendar year? The same Thursday of the Sweet 16. Like, why couldn't they do it on Wednesday, a day earlier, and have had their own day, a day to themselves, where they would have led, you know, most of the headlines the next day? But no, they had to do it the same day as the Sweet 16. I, Baseball's just so dumb. They needed to stop shooting themselves in the foot. I mean, they're already at a disadvantage that they're losing, you know, younger fans. Um, It's not nearly as popular of a sport as it used to be. But stupid things like this, baseball, just help your own cause and stop shooting yourself in the foot. In other baseball news, the New York Mets signed star pitcher Jacob deGrom to a five-year, $137 million contract. Basically, after Noah Syndergaard bashed the team for not taking care of it, good on the Mets for actually acting like a big market franchise in this case. I thought the contract was a very fair contract considering DeGrom's age. Um, This also means that when Noah Syndergaard's contract is up, uh, the Mets will probably cry poverty and uh, either trade him for 50 cents of the dollar or let him walk. Mets fans are already bracing themselves for this, but for now, uh, good on the Mets for taking care of business. Uh, The Yankees season started, and they're doing uh, what they basically did last year and and not beating the deadbeat Orioles. Um, Also, Giancarlo Stanton is now on the 10-day DL. Just uh, wonderful times in Yankee land, but it's a long year, so I'm not going to get too crazy about it now. uh, But for the Yankees to actually... Do what they uh, are expected to do this year. You have to beat the lowly Orioles. You just have to. I don't care what time of the year it is. You have to beat the Orioles. And for my legion of fans who are looking for my baseball content, my annual baseball show is in the works. We're trying to get it scheduled, so stay tuned for that. A quick couple of NBA notes, and I admittedly have not been watching the NBA uh, as much lately, and I will dive back into all things NBA uh, soon, but a couple of quick points. As you all know, I am a big sucker for the Oklahoma City Thunder. I love Russell Westbrook. I am one of his biggest defenders, but I gotta be fair right now. The Oklahoma City Thunder absolutely stink right now. Absolutely stink. They're 3-7 and seven in their last 10 And they have been awful since the Paul George injury where he hurt his shoulder. Since the All-Star break, they have the lowest point differential in the league. They went from being third in the West to now being tied for seventh. And considering the the tiebreakers, they're now in eighth. Not very good. To quote my guy Ryan Rossillo, am I off them? Uh, I don't know if I'm completely off them, but they need to get their shit together ASAP. This year's rookie class has been an excellent rookie class up and down. Uh, you got a lot of guys who have shown flashes, and you've got Luka Doncic. But one of the, um, you know, the draft day trade that gave Luka Doncic to the Mavericks uh, and netted the Hawks, Trey Young, uh, and a future first-round pick that everybody destroyed for being a terrible trade. Well, uh, if you've been following along, the Hawks have exceeded expectations this year. 
They were supposed to be one of the two or three worst teams in the league. That is not the case. And Trey Young has been absolutely awesome doing his best Steph Curry impersonation. So that trade that was panned as one of the worst trades of the decade, well, you know, it really might not be a bad trade at all. I mean, if the Hawks can somehow get Zion Williamson, if they get the number one pick, Trey Young and Zion Williamson is just as good, if not better, than having Luka Doncic, uh, as great as Luka is. So kudos to Trey Young for, you know, after starting out really slow, coming on super, super strong, making this Rookie of the Year race an actual race. Now, I don't think he's going to end up passing Luka, but it's going to be awfully, awfully close and a lot closer than we thought it was ever going to be. Now to a team that I've hated on a bunch, I still do, the Houston Rockets, who started the season off terribly, sustained a couple of injuries, but somehow have climbed all the way up to the number three seed in the West, and James Harden is the main reason why, much to my chagrin. I mean, he's been absolutely ridiculous this year, so I have to give him major props. Now, should he win MVP this year? While I do believe his candidacy is better this year than it was last year, I actually don't think he should win this year. I think that award should go to Giannis Antetokounmpo for the entirety of the season and how great he's been all year. But Harden's case is certainly a really strong one. Just wanted to get that out of the way. One last thing on Harden, but anyone in basketball, all the stat nerds uh, who say he's ultra-efficient this year, well, I mean, that's not really true. His three-point percentage is down from last year. His field goal percentage is down, too. And don't give me this nonsense that we're considering free throws and assist-to-turnover ratio and efficiency. Free throws are without defense, and... We're, when anybody talks about efficiency, it's strictly about shooting the ball against defenders. No free throws, no assists. So, so get that out of my face. Uh, that, I think, is garbage. Um, but just because he hasn't been as efficient this year as he was last year doesn't mean he hasn't been great. Because he's been even better this year than he was last year. I mean, when stars have to carry the load the way that he's had to carry it this year, your efficiency is just going to dip. It, it, it can't be as high as you'd like it to be if your usage is that high, considering that you're the focal point of the offense and the, um, you know, and the, and the main guy that defenses have to stop. And if you don't take all the big shots down the stretch, who else is going to do it? Even though his efficiency is lower, he's actually been better this year. Uh, so, but don't give me the nonsense on the ultra efficiency stuff. I mean, just cool it. You should be able to see the difference between greatness and efficiency. Uh, again, this is where the eye test comes into play as opposed to just uh, strictly going by the stats. Uh, also, anyone who legitimately thinks he's better than Kobe Bryant at this point in his career just really needs to be educated. Needed to get all that off my chest, but serious props to James Harden this season in the Houston Rockets. He's really been incredible, even if I can't stand him and still expect him to choke in the playoffs. Uh, you cannot take away from the season he's had. With that said, it was a quick little monologue this uh, week, or I should say this episode, because uh, it's time to jump into the NCAA tournament and what has gone down the last two weeks in just a moment. All right, you all know who it is. This is the third installment of his appearances on the podcast. It's none other than recurring guest, college sports extraordinaire, Mr. Jordan Marks. We're back. All right, I know I sent you the outline, but is anybody going to watch this Final Four now that Duke is out, besides for you and me? <laughs> 
Well, I was going to say, woe is you. The Zion era is, is over. I, uh, I know. I don't, don't want to talk if, about it. I don't it. know if ESPN is really going to even, you know, highlight it, or maybe we'll just go straight to, you know, the Notre Dame women's team or something else. That's more uh, intriguing to them or baseball or something because Zion's over. So now we're just going to have to get into uh, some college basketball. But, but no, in all seriousness, I, I, I think absolutely. I think uh, – all these four teams lacked like the pizzazz of Gonzaga, Duke, Kentucky, and well, I guess UVA. Uh, there's plenty of storylines here. Like, yes, CBS and Turner, NBA nerds wanted to see like Zion, RJ, Cam, Rui, Keldon Johnson, but this is still the biggest stage in all the sport. We have four extremely deserving teams, a ton of veteran players, Hall of Fame coaches. I mean, they're going to gut it out in NFL arena. I mean, it, it truly is a huge stage. You have some senior-related teams in Auburn, Texas Tech, and Michigan State. I mean, they're going to really throw punches in. The, I took punches in the mouth, actually. Um, and, like, when – let's just – in the last weekend when, like, Zion would dunk on, uh, on Michigan State, you know, they Michigan State would say, hey, that's just two points. Let's go back at it. So the – same thing where Ashton Hagen's make a nice drive and then Auburn would say, okay, you know what? That's just two points. Let's keep going. And I, and I think that's really big from these teams because these are experienced teams that have seen adversity. And I think that's going to make for a really great final four. Well, you mentioned uh, ESPN. Well, they'll probably lead Monday's show with uh, speculation about LeBron and, and who probably won't be joining the Lakers. So <laughs> they'll probably brush it to the side even more than I would. But anyway, um, I, I wanted to talk about um, – I, I wanted to – there's a lot of ways we can go with this. And uh, I wanted to start with the biggest takeaway from the first two weekends. Let's start with, I guess, opening weekend where, you know, it's wall-to-wall action. Um We've in the past seen a lot of crazy upsets, but this year, I mean, even the 12-5 matchups weren't crazy upsets. I mean, Oregon beating Wisconsin. Oregon, I think, was favored in the game or or at most. They were favored, yeah. Right. They finished as a favorite. I think they opened at a one-and-a-half point underdog, so that's not really a major upset. For the most part, the first weekend was chalk. Um, you know, every a lot of the predictions came true. But then the uh, the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight came, and, and that's where things got a little nutty. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest takeaway from that, that first boring open weekend, so to say, is that the, commi- the committee, when they do things right, this kind of thing might just happen. I mean, yes, they, they lacked the, the pizzazz of Cinderella's and whatnot, um, but when you have no upsets in the first weekend you're going to really get an incredible second weekend in games. And by God, did we just have a weekend of hoops? Um, but yeah, I mean, going back to the first weekend, I, 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 yeah, you had that, that one huge takeaway from me was you had that, that Tennessee team that just kept flirting with defeat uh, three times. But there was the Colgate game. There was that completely insane Iowa game, uh, which led to uh, eventually finally the, Overtime loss to uh, that really incredible, which kept going performance by Carson Edwards and Purdue. Um, and then another takeaway from that first weekend was Ja Morant. I mean, you had Ja on the court on a national stage where I don't think anyone watched any of Murray State's games. If you did, maybe you're an NBA diehard who watched some clips, but nobody's tuning in to Murray State Belmont on a Friday night. It's 
So to see Ja go toe-to-toe with Marcus Howard and, and defeat Marquette, which was an upset, and then just go all out. His team got waxed by Florida State, but he had really an insane performance where you just didn't think he was going to miss. Um, it, it was it, He was definitely a highlight of the first weekend for me. Yeah, we're, we're going to get to him in a second in terms of the winners and losers uh, of the tournament so far. But the first weekend, I mean, the only two really exciting games we had was Tennessee-Iowa, which was nuts. And we nuts. had the Duke-UCF. Uh, uh, talk about a team who's been flirting with disaster all tournament. The Duke Blue Devils started in that UCF game. I mean, where um, you had the the Zion drive uh, against Taco, uh, the missed free throw, the RJ Barrett putback. I mean, that was that was crazy considering uh, they almost got upset in the second round. But then the Sweet 16 and the uh, and the Elite Eight came, and uh, I mean, we had a couple of classics. Uh, per- Purdue, uh, Virginia, you know, we had, uh, Duke, Michigan state. Uh, I mean, just, just a couple of classics, which really made up for the lackluster opening round and especially the opening Saturday where every game except for the Kentucky game was a blowout. Absolutely. Yeah. The, but, but it didn't make for a hell of an elite eight. Yeah, it, it was it was just amazing. So let, let's let's go to the uh, biggest winners and losers so far. Um, who are your uh, the biggest winners so far from the tournament? Yeah, I, I don't know if this is like a general theme, but coaches who seem to stick with what they do best and keep doing that over time. So, namely, I'm going to say Chris Beard and Tony Bennett, which are two amazing stories to me. So. First with Chris Beard, uh, takes a Little Rock team out of nowhere to uh, never had made the tournament, really, and then make the tournament and upset Michigan State in the first round. And then you have – and then he go, he goes and he uh, gets to Texas Tech. And, and, and this is one of the worst jobs in the Big 12, if not the worst job in the Big 12. And last year he makes an Elite Eight. This year he's making the Final Four. Uh, he does not have NBA type high school recruits. Uh, it, this is a team that he's sticking with and doing his defensive strategy. And now this defense this year was historical, uh, for them to beat the number seven team in the nation in, in, in the Michigan Wolverines, by, by 19 and then the number two team in the nation in Gonzaga by six completely fluster those offenses was remarkable uh, frustrating as a Michigan fan but unbelievable well, Matt Mooney Michigan yeah. Michigan hurt my feelings also as, as you know I um we have both participated survivor. in our, our boy Scott Krinsky's survivor pool and I picked Michigan in that game uh considering the choices I had left and that game was oh I knew I had lost basically within the first 15 minutes when Michigan had like 10 points yeah, I mean it's 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 that defense, man. I I thought that we'd be able to to uh, reverse ball screens and somehow get shots up. Uh, it's just that defense is horrible. They have an unbelievable guard in Matt Mooney who just crushed Xavier Simpson and did the same to Josh Perkins and and then you get from there you have Tariq Owens down low is just a major problem and you saw it with Killian Tilly and Brandon Clark and then John Teske. I mean. And then you have Jared Culver, who's this lottery pick, who really helps him on the offensive end, but but also is just a stud on the defensive end. So Texas Tech and Chris Beard, just a hell of a story. 
and then Tony Bennett. I mean, from losing to a sixteen seed last year to the Final Four, it's it's like a documentary that just wrote itself. Uh, from Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome at guard spacing the floor to the best screener I've seen in a while in Jack Salt uh, and setting it up for their lottery pick and uh, DeAndre Hunter to do it all for them. I mean, it, it, that that game on uh, was Saturday night with Purdue was one of the best games I've seen ever. Uh, it was yeah. unbelievable. And Virginia outlasted them. That Diakite shot was crazy. Uh, and Virginia is finally, finally, finally going to the Final Four. Unbelievable story. Yeah, cra- crazy story. I mean, uh, like you, I had the, uh, you know, Texas Tech being a major winner and, and the coach being a major winner. Now he's like the hottest name uh, on the market if he ever wants to take another job. I mean, uh, Jared Culver turned himself into a top, you know, six, seven pick. Looks like a really nice, nice looking player. Um, uh, for me, on um, Aubrey and uh, Johnny Dawkins uh, for UCF. I mean that game, their performance against Duke, uh, you know, father son tandem put them on the map. I I mean that was a, a tremendous performance. Uh, other Absolutely. winners, obviously, you know Zion Williamson and and because he was just all world. I mean, and we'll, we're going to get into Duke in a second because obviously they're the big story here. We're going to get into that in a little bit. Uh, and, you know, winners Carson Edwards for Purdue. I mean, oh, holy moly, yeah. what 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 a performance he had. I mean, he broke the record for most threes made in, in a span of tourney games, beat Stephen Curry. Uh, I mean, he had that 40-point performance um, against uh, holy cow, um, uh, against Virginia and, and just went absolutely berserk with the heat checks that, they were, uh, that he was putting up. Um, and, you know, the winner so far was the NCAA. The ratings were up 8%. From last yeah. year, I mean, and, and this year wasn't necessarily a great year in college basketball. Like, I think the, the excitement over Zion, you know, really overshadowed that. I think the level of play was better last year, but ratings were up eight percent. That's pretty good. Yeah, in a year of federal investigations and show causes. <laughs> yeah, uh, for you, who are your who are your major losers? I, I hope we both agree on this. I, I can't even think of another loser than, than Coach K. Uh, I, he, we could list, we could rank losers, and Coach K would have be the biggest loser by a wide margin. A wide, wide four, margin. Two Final Fours in 15 years. Uh, his team had four McDonald's All-Americans, three lottery picks. I, there's no excuse. He, he Everyone says it, but it doesn't go without saying, again, he just simply didn't even coach this team. They don't come with a plan. Uh, they flirted with defeat against UCF. Uh, I mean, they were UCF was screening the hell out of them, spacing the floor, Aubrey, Taco. I mean, it was unbelievable. And then Duke had another failure. I, I thought they really struggled against Virginia Tech, even though Cam was out that game. But Ahmed Hill and Kerry Blackshear just were awesome. I mean, Trey had a big game to sneak him out of there. And then yesterday, I mean, uh, they play an actual defense in Michigan State. And and Coach K couldn't get his all-world, hall, probably future NBA Hall of Famer, the ball in the last seven freaking minutes of the game. I mean, this that is ridiculous. No excuse. Biggest loser. By far. Um, and and I'm, we'll get more into Coach K in a second. Um, but the other loser in this is the NCAA. Because now that Duke is out and and Coach K shat his pants, um, 
their ratings for the Final Four and the title game are going to be minuscule compared to what they thought they were going to get. It, I, I can't imagine it not being a bloodbath. But let's pile on Coach K a little bit more because he's really like, you know, for somebody who's had such a storied career, uh, and I and I heard this from uh, Mark Titus and Tate Frazier, who who do a great job uh, over at the Ringer. Even though I think the Ringer, for the most part, is is trash. But you know, Mark Titus basically said, and no, actually, I'm sorry. Tate Frazier said that this was the year that you know Zion wasn't going to have to do everything because he had all this other talent next to him. Well, that wasn't the case. The game plan was just. Have Zion bail us out, not only on offense, but on defense. I mean, they would allow dribble penetration. They tried to switch all screens. They were lazy on that. And Zion would basically erase things at the rim. Uh, Zion would, you know, for the most part, their offense was give the ball to Zion. If he misses, he's going to get an offensive rebound. He's going to put it back in. I mean, they have talent all up and down this roster. And, yeah, Trey Jones struggled with his shot. I mean, he almost shot them out of the UCF game. I mean, Cam Reddish that guy was the number two recruit going into this year. I mean, there's, he's on, he's on the, on the milk box, you know, missing on the side, you know, (laughs) where, where is he? Um, And it was basically just the uh, RJ Barrett Zion uh, ISO show. And the last play, I mean, to not get the ball to Zion at all. It was no excuse. Ridiculous. It just insane. It, it, I watched those games and I really, I, I was like, it, is Coach K doing anything besides for maybe putting in a sub at some point? And he didn't even play that many guys. It's 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 baffling. It truly is, and he's considered the best coach in the game. It's unbelievable. Again, to steal from Mark Titus, who I. Ooh, I'm sure you hold in high esteem, uh, as do I. But, you know, as he said, has Coach K now gotten to the point where he's in the Joe Paterno, late stage of Joe Paterno, where you're just trying not to crap your pants on the sidelines and then just get through it? Because and the assistants just coach, and that's it, which they don't even do. So. No, they don't even do. I, it was just a, a butcher job with a team with that much talent that I know they're all freshmen. But to not have any sort of infrastructure in place, you know, to mitigate against, you know, Zion doing everything. And the truth of the matter is, what's crazy is, he's so good, and R.J. Barrett is is good enough, and he's been a divisive player, divisive player amongst, you know, NBA fans to what he's going to be. I think he's a gamer. I think he's going to be something. I'm just not sure what that is. But the fact of the matter is, even uh, with all that, they played it in a, a well-coached Michigan State team. I mean, it's an inferior team, but a well-coached Michigan State team. And they were one missed free throw away from possibly going into overtime. But Coach K, that game should never have been that close. Nope. Just Colette, yeah, it was. <laughs> we're going to get into Michigan State and how, how, how they're successful in a second. But it really, really no excuse for that. And I wish Zion Luck, when he gets his two-bedroom condo in the West Village and it's having veal parm at Carbone and partying in the meatpacking district shortly. Well, I hope not too many veal parms because we got to make sure that he's in shape. But 
but to everything else uh, from your mouth to God's ears. All right. So now that we've <laughs> spoken enough about Duke um, and uh, and the disaster that was the Duke loss that really hurt me in basically every scenario I had in terms of a bracket, not to uh, to put this on myself, but Duke really, um, you know, they, they, they hurt my feelings. Uh so we got the final four. We got Texas Tech. We've got Auburn. We've got Michigan State, and we've got Virginia. So if you had to rank, uh, in terms of storylines, the best storylines uh, of those four teams, who would uh, your number one storyline be? Virginia. I think that story would be truly remarkable. I mean, to go from the first team losing to a 16 seed to battling back and Tony Bennett finally, finally, finally after winning so many regular season conference championships and tournament championships and everyone saying pace of play doesn't matter. The pack line defense doesn't work. You need McDonald's all Americans finally, finally breaking through into the final four. I think winning a national championship to cap it all off the year after losing to a 16 seed is, is, is really an insane story. Yeah, I mean, talk about from, uh, you know, rags to riches over there. I mean, we we spoke about before when we previewed the bracket that not that he was ever going to be in trouble, but if they didn't have a good showing, like, the heat, heat would start a little bit. And, you know, they they were down at the half against the 16th seed this year. You know, they yep. they had to scratch and claw against Purdue. I mean, they haven't necessarily had an easy run either. I mean, Oregon in the second round gave them a game. But, yeah, it would be some type of redemption story if they went from uh, basically worst to first, kind of. So they get an Auburn team that is super hot. I mean, I like the way Auburn plays. I mean, they beat my UNC Tar Heels pretty handily. Um, there was one yeah, there, there was one play against Kentucky in the Elite Eight where um, – uh, I forget who it was. It was number two. I'm forgetting what his name is. Uh, misses a free throw. Uh, gets like a steal. You know, or or somebody, or was he missed a shot? Bryce Brown. Bryce Brown. Bryce Brown, Bryce Brown misses a shot. He then, uh, there's a, a rebound that's going out of bounds. Save. He steals the save and immediately turns behind gets behind the three-point line and shoots a corner three. Like, the ultimate confidence and heat check. Just loved everything about it. Nailed it. Yeah. I mean, that that's the name of the game for Auburn. I, they only hit seven, actually, against Kentucky. but And they lost their, their NBA guy in Chumo Kiki. But they really live and die by the three. Um, but their threes but, against Kentucky felt – they just – they may have only hit seven, but they felt bigger. Like, yeah. they came in big spots. Absolutely. No, they made it rain against North Carolina. I, I think I think anyway, there's there's very little recipes for an Auburn win that don't involve hot shooting from three. Because, But this time they're going to play against this, the, probably the best defense they've seen all season. So, I mean, Virginia's defense is, is going to make them earn it from three, and they're going to run them off the line as much as possible, I, I presume. I, I would think that's the, the main... Uh, the main recipe to uh, beat Auburn, really. But in terms, I guess, turning this around for Virginia, this to me, out of all the teams, because uh, Virginia, I believe, is the favorite going in, as they should be. Yeah. But this is the one team of the of the three other teams that 
I think can give Virginia the most trouble because the foot speed of the guards and the fact that, you know, if they get hot from three, you know, Vir- Virginia doesn't like to to score more than 55, 60 points. If this team get gets cooking, like, that makes Virginia play a whole different type of way. Yeah, I, I just think that Kentucky and North Carolina, the way they played much faster and they tried to, like, run with Auburn where – Virginia is not going to shoot in the first 15 seconds of the shot clock ever. They are going to slow the pace down. It's a very slow tempo game, and they really make you value the possession where Auburn might shoot a three in the first seven seconds of the shot clock, four straight plays. And if they miss, they don't care. They're going to keep shooting threes. They might shoot 43s um, on Saturday. So uh, I think that it's going to be just a slower game. And Bryce Brown and Jared Harper are going to really have to play well without Chuma down low because it's going to put a lot of pressure on Austin Wiley. Um, and Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome are really good guards again. And DeAndre Hunter is at the, at now with all eyes watching him. I think he's going to really have a good performance. So going to the other side, we've got Michigan State and Texas Tech. Um, what do we make of this matchup? It seems to me like it, whatever the under is, bet the under. Yeah, I, I see what you say. I, I would probably say that with most Texas Tech games, right? I mean, it's not a, it's not a fantastic offense, but it's an unbelievable defense. Uh, I, I think this is, this is going to be a tough matchup for Michigan State. I, they're going to have to reverse a lot of ball screens, going to put a lot of pressure on Kenny Goins, Aaron Henry, and Nick Ward to hit jump shots I, they do not let you get in the paint texas tech they have two great shot blockers uh cassius is going to be asked to do a lot of driving but getting into the teeth of the texas tech defense is is a disaster they they lead the nation in turnovers by a pretty wide margin um and i think it's going to be they're going to michigan state is going to have to be able to shoot I think Kenny Goins, I think Matt McQuaid can do that, but it's it's asking them a lot of pressure to do that for 40 minutes. I think maybe for a half this game will be – or I think the game will be close throughout, but I think in the end, Jared Culver has what it takes to uh, get Texas Tech on through and uh, take down the Spartans. I just don't see – and maybe I've doubted Michigan State, and I guess the game against Duke – I mean, if Duke doesn't turn the ball over as much as they do – and like silly turnovers, I don't even think it's a game. But I just there's something about Michigan State. I I can't understand how they score enough. I mean, Winston is really nice off off the bounce, but it's not like he's a tremendous three point shooter. Yeah, I, I, mean, I just Goins had those big threes. Yeah. And, and Xavier Xavier Tillman was really big down low. But yeah, uh, I I think that this Texas Tech has this Italian kid Davide Moretti, who is just lights out. He is one of the best three-point shooters. He shoots like 50% from three. Something you need crazy that like guy. that. You need one yeah, that guy, guy like that. That guy, anytime he shoots, it doesn't ever hit the rim. It's crazy. And they and they, their offense does tend to slog at times. But again, if they keep creating turnovers and they have two awesome shot blockers and just do not allow you to get to the middle, you're forced to take low percentage jumpers. And I think that for 40 minutes, that gets tiring. And it could cause margins like it did against Michigan. All right, so um, so who who you got? Who you got in the two games? Yeah, so I mean, I 
I liked Auburn for a little yesterday right after the game, and then I'm just like, oh, this Virginia story is too good. So I'm going to take Virginia in a, in a very close one. And then I, I also, yeah, I'm going to take this Texas Tech team. It's it's truly a, a historic defense. So uh, I got Virginia, Texas Tech, um, and then uh, why not? Let's just – that's going to be the ultimate under, by the way, if you're oh. talking about over-unders. <laughs> and that is literally the opposite of that like uh, that Villanova-North Carolina game we saw a few years ago. So uh, then I'm going to take uh, – yeah, I'll take uh, Tony Bennett to cut down the nets. Why not? Um, and I'll actually be heading out to Minneapolis on Saturday, so I'll be there. Oh, that's so get, awesome. Get, get, the, get the corporate card ready. Let's do it. Let's do <laughs> it. Uh, I like – I like Texas Tech and it, that first game. I there's something about this Auburn team. Um, I don't. You know what? I'm gonna go Virginia, and I actually think Texas Tech is gonna win it for some strange reason. I, I don't know what it is. Unbelievable but story. They're just <laughs> they're just awesome. Uh, before I let you go, uh, you were lucky enough to spend the fir- opening weekend in uh, the city of Las Vegas. Um, Describe the yeah. scene in Vegas opening weekend and explain to everybody why anyone who cares about sports should make that a mission to spend opening weekend of the tournament in Vegas at least once in your lifetime. Yeah, it's it's pretty mesmerizing. I mean, I'm not even a big sports gambler, so like I'm just doing it based just on the emotion of the game. I did put a, put a little bit of capital down, but it was mostly just wall-to-wall games for the first two days, and you're on the time difference. So basically 9 a.m. first tip is happening. So you have to, the days that we were there, we did this thing called hoops and hops. It was like uh, an open bar situation in a giant convention center, just wall to wall projection screens, sound on for whatever the best game was at the time. Um, Obviously a lot of dudes in one room, but (laughs) you and your, you and your crew would have a table open bar, waitresses, uh, whatever you want, and just and there's sports books lined up right outside of this convention center, and you just sit there for 12 hours, and you don't even know the time is flying by because the games are nonstop. And then we did that, we did that the, the first two days, essentially, and then, then the third day we, we went to a pool party, which I had the misfortune of watching the Michigan game at. Yeah. Um, and you could, you could imagine me... Even though we were we won that game and we handled Florida pretty well, just when you're in the emotions of a game and there's a DJ bumping house music and there's co-eds everywhere and you're screaming at the the officials, that's a walk, sir, and it just <laughs> makes for an odd, odd experience. Yeah, so, I, uh, yeah, I could imagine. I, I'm sure I wouldn't the, say it's the normal Vegas experience. There wasn't a, it wasn't, <laughs> we definitely partied a lot, but it was uh, absolutely an unbelievable sports experience. Um, I'm sure you could have counted the number of women who were not waitresses uh, in that convention center on one hand. Uh, I, 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 I recall each of them. One of them wore a Robbie Hummel jersey. Oh, I'm pretty okay. sure. And, and then there was two girls wearing a Belmont t-shirt. <laughs> oh, all right. And that was it, I'm pretty sure. Hey, they got a first round upset. That's pretty good. <laughs> not, Unbelievable. Yeah. Not not terrible. All right, Jordan. Um 
well, uh, this uh, our uh, trilogy has uh, has come and gone. Uh, it's been great. Um, maybe uh, depending on the schedule, we'll uh, we'll recap the uh, the championship game if there's something to talk about. And uh, it's always a pleasure, dude. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. All right, buddy. Take care. Speak to you. Bye. All right. Before the end of the show, uh, there was uh, major news out of the NFL. Um, there was a retirement of a certain uh, football player who I happen to love. I know that uh, my feelings towards the New England Patriots are well known. I do not like them at all, one bit. But I do have a major soft spot for uh, tight end Rob Gronkowski, who uh, decided to call it a career after nine seasons. Um, really one of the great, great players that this, the game has ever seen. Uh, so uh, to discuss it a little bit, to put a bow on uh, Gronk's career, I had to call uh, resident Pat fan, uh, recurring guest of the show, Mr. Zach Weiner. Zach. What was your what was your reaction to uh, the news when it, the news broke? Uh, I was I was honestly a little surprised because um, the the thought around New England was if he's going to retire, he was going to do it shortly after the Super Bowl. So as the offseason got older and older and older, people started thinking he was coming back. I know he went on like either Kimmel or Fallon. And he kind of made mention of, like, working out for next year. So there are all these, like, little hints. Um, his agent, Drew Rosenhaus, said he, he expected Gronk would return again. So once he dropped the retirement, it was actually it was pretty surprising. Yeah, my – obviously, I, I wasn't really plugged in. Uh, I had heard the scuttlebutt that he was thinking about it. I mean, his body has taken an absolute beating. Total beating. Uh, you know, the the – the back surgeries, you know, the the forearm injury that he was wearing, that monster cast on for the last yeah. two or three years. I mean, the guy's gotten beaten up, but, you know, it was sad. I mean, I, I love Rob Gronkowski. I, I use the term Gronk in my daily lexicon to describe the different workouts I do that day. Like, I love it. I, I absolutely adore Rob Gronkowski and everything Rob Gronkowski. So, now I also heard that you know, and maybe it's just like the uh, the barstool New England uh, fans that we both you know love, uh, talking about that he may not be legitimately done. Like if if it's late in the year, like week eleven, they can bring him back. Uh, what do you make of that? So I refuse to have any type of expectation like that. You can't, you know, and I'll tell you why because. Um, when Barry Sanders retired and when Calvin Johnson retired, it was like so it felt like it was very early in their careers, which because it was obviously. And people were like, oh, they're going to come back at some point. They're going to come back at some point. And it, it was years later. They still never came back. Calvin Johnson was a big one. Like every Pats fan was like, oh, yeah, he just wants to get out of Detroit. He wants to come to New England. He's going to come to New England. He's going to come to New England. He's still retired. So I refuse to allow myself to think that he's going to he's going to retire especially because he gets to retire, Aaron, on, like, the perfect terms. He's a Super Bowl champion. He made the catch of the Super Bowl. Um, he's got three rings. He's been to, to five Super Bowls. Um, so, I, I, and like you said, his body's just been absolutely destroyed. So, I think um, that, I, you know, I'm just, I'm going to play it as if, as if he's done. What I will say is that his body has been so destroyed over the years that, like New England fans always wanted them to, to you know, to rest him until 
the playoffs. So it would be the ultimate hilarity, I think, that, you know, if, if he actually would bring him back out of retirement um, after 11 or 12 years. It's not it's not out of the realm of possibility. Um, the the number one example I always bring up is uh, Junior Seiya retired, um, and then the Pats were in desperate need of a linebacker. This is obviously going back a number of years, and Belichick asked him to come out of retirement, and Seiya said that the only coach he would ever do that for was Belichick. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that could, you know, I, I feel like uh, that relationship is the same with Gronk and Brady. Like Brady can maybe get him out of retirement, but you just, you can't, you can't operate under that assumption. You have to expect that he's done. Yeah. And there were reports before this year that the Patriots were looking to trade Gronk because they knew that his, uh, that his body was just, you know, beaten up. And, yeah, and which that- I think it's crazy. I think it's as crazy. Like you look at what he did this year. His stats weren't weren't you know you know what what you expect him to be each year, but that's because he was blocking so many plays. And the fact that he's just you know when he's when he's not blocking, he's double teamed, so he, he's leaving other guys open. I mean, Julian Edelman basically was the Super Bowl MVP because Rob Gronkowski was on the field, you know. And then the one time you know after Edelman had you know ten eleven catches in the game, they finally kind of go after Edelman. Gronk makes like I said before the the catch of the Super Bowl. That sets up the only touchdown of the game. So uh, I, his value is so is so high just from existing and, and being on the field, and that's what that's what the loss is. The loss is is not just the player, but also the threat of the of the player, and so it's it's a big loss, a very big loss. The um, there was uh, a video that surfaced on Twitter. Um, it was like Brady mic'd up in the Super Bowl, and he goes. You know, for this one play, Gronk, I need you, right? Yeah. They go into the huddle, and then he hits Gronk on the seam pattern to basically down at the two. Makes me super sad, whatever. Um, God, <laughs> I hate the Patriots so much. It's it's unbelievable. But, you know, Gronk, as beat up and as, as slow as he looked maybe during the regular season, you know, special players like that who transcend their position – you know, yeah. always have the ability to rear back like once or twice, you know, on that like last time to rear back and, and, and you know, drum up all the juice that they had, all the all the gas they have left in the tank and, and put it all out there. And Gronk yeah, was I, tremendous I, I, in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I also, I mean, like Kansas City did a really good job of holding him up um, in the AFC Championship. Until the end. The end of- and and at end of the game, he has two massive catches that were just backbreakers for that team. Um, you know, third and long plays both times. So, um, and th- that's how good he is. The, the ball always just seemed to stick to his hands. Brady could really he, he could throw it low, he could throw it high, and Gronk would Gronk would take it. So it's going to be tough. And, and the, the other interesting thing that's going to be you know to see what the Patriots do this right now. The Patriots have zero tight ends because they let Dwayne Allen go also. So they have some work to do. Um, you know, some people seem to think they're going to do it in the draft. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll see. But I just remember, you know, back when it was Gronk and Aaron Hernandez, that was the big two tight end set, you know, triple, uh, uh, double threat, you know, crazy. And ever since Hernandez was gone, um, they've been, like, trying to to find that match with Gronk. The first one was Scott Chandler, who had an amazing career on Buffalo. And then he shows up to New England and just can't catch the friggin' ball. Um, and then the next one after him, you know, they tried Dwayne Allen. Allen turned out to be just a really serviceable blocker. Um, and 
you know, they just haven't been able to find it. So now they're, they're for the first time in, in 10 years, really, they're, they're lacking in the, in the tight end position because uh, they've always had Gronk. They've always had uh, another guy behind Gronk who was, you know, maybe not a great number one, but a, a much better number two. Um, so they have a lot of work to do. They're, they're, they're lacking in the wide receiver position, and now, they're, now they, have, they have zero tight ends. If you are looking for any sympathy from me right now, you no, are. No, you no, are, not at all. You no, are, I mean, I'll tell you. You have come to the wrong this. place. Yeah, no, you're not going to want to hear this. But when the news broke, so, you know, my brother's a dentist, so he was like, you know, you know seeing patients. And so I, anytime there's breaking news, um, I, I always text him immediately. So I texted him, you know, yo, Gronk retired, FYI. And he quickly texted me back. He goes, did Brady retire? And I'm like, no. And, and he goes, then we're fine. And he goes back to work, which oh, is like, that, it, that, that's the truth, though. That's the truth. Like, as long as Brady and Belichick, <clears throat> excuse me, are around, it's not like Gronk's a huge loss. I'm not taking away from that. But it's Brady and Belichick. It's not Brady, Belichick, and Gronk. Like, they, they beat Atlanta without Gronk, you know? So there's uh, they have tons of holes right now. There's a ton of work to do. There's plenty of offseason left. You don't win or lose in, in March or April. Um, unless but, you're the Giants when you've unless, lost the offseason <laughs> for years I, I, to come. I wanted to, yeah, I mean, I haven't. So th- this this is your first episode since since uh, all those those moves, right? No, let, last last episode I had a rant. Thanks for um, oh, keeping no, up on hey, the. Uh, so I have some catch. I have some catching up to do. Uh, I, hey, you know you know I'm a loyalist. Man. I I do. I'm 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 surprised yeah. that you that you let that one slip. Uh, but, that one slipped. That one slipped. So, so you can you can listen to episode 44 soon and 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 understand the pain and the anguish that I'm in. So before I get super angry at you because I'm so mad, <laughs> we're gonna stick with Rob Gronkowski. Yeah. What, what's your favorite? Gronk memory. My favorite Gronk memory. I got. I got a couple. Uh, one is when he threw that dude out of the club. You know, against Indy. Um, the guy was like, "Now I forget the guy's name, but he was mouthing off to him. He was in Indianapolis defender mouthing off to him the entire game. Um, and finally, they got a running play um, to you know that that it went for a touchdown. And Gronk just blocked him and blocked him, blocked him all the way into the end zone and just threw him into I think like a couple photographers just into the wall yeah um, I, I remember and, exactly what yeah. you're talking about because it, it was basically the same scene from the movie the blind side exactly exactly the same exact scene and they and they asked him after the game like what the hell was up with that and he goes he was mouthing off the whole game so I had to throw him out of the club and that became like a little like Gronk rallying cry so I love that and the second um, thing I love is he had an amazing amazing one-handed catch against Denver a number of years ago. Um, it was a game in which um, Edelman was, this is right after Wes Welker signed with, um, with, with the Broncos. So people didn't really know, you know, how good Edelman was going to be. And so the, there was, this, you know, this, the, there was no, there was, it's before Amendola, before Hogan. Um, and Edelman was kind of ex- expected to, to be the next big thing. And, and no one thought that. And everyone was just upset that because we hated Peyton Manning, so Manning got Wes Welker, and then that ended up being, you know, another genius move by Belichick, letting him go, because then his career flailed out and Edelman took over. But anyways, in that game, um, uh, and you can you can find it anywhere uh, online, it's one of his greatest catches. Brady uh, took pressure in the pocket and, and uh, ran, you know, he kind of stepped up in the pocket, and he threw the ball as he was running, and it is totally behind Gronk. Gronk was at least double covered with a third guy in the area, 
um, and he hauled it in um, at the two or one yard line um, on a one-handed grab. Gorgeous, gorgeous catch. Just the thing I loved about the thing I love about Gronk is um, Belichick has been quoted as saying um, he is he's a coach's dream. He, he the, only, the only thing he cares about is winning, and he'll do whatever the coach is asking to do. Which, first of all, is true. Is very, very true. He, he doesn't need a hundred touchdowns. He'll he'll block all game if that's what you ask him to do. But it's just interesting because Gronk is not your typical, you know, quote unquote, Patriot way type of guy. You know, he doesn't keep to himself. He doesn't stay out of the tabloids. He doesn't, you know, he, 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 he parties hard. There are videos all over the place of him, you know, chugging beers. Um, and you would think that that's the kind of player that, that Belichick can't handle or want. Meanwhile, not only is he okay with it, he's like one of Belichick's favorite players. So I just think that, you know, his, his work, he was somehow able to do what so many players fail to do, which is... Um, you know, kind of separating the football from the personal life and, and then finding that balance and still being just, uh, you know, really potentially, arguably the greatest at, at his position. You know, there are definitely some some greats there, you know, the Shannon Sharps of the world. Um, but but he's Tony Gonzalez, he's Tony Gonzalez, another really good one. But he's in the conversation for sure. So um, and, and, and by the way, Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, they never lived a life off the field like Gronk did. That's, it, it's, it's, it's incredible. He's a meathead, you know? It's, it's incredible. Uh, I watched, I mean, I was young for majority of uh, Shannon Sharp's uh, and Tony Gonzalez's primes. Yep. Their peak Shan- wasn't as good as Gronk's peak. It's not, it's Shannon- not close. Shannon Sharp was an incredible player, and it's, it's tough for me to talk about it because he's such an asshole now on Fox Sports, you know? Um, well, he's but, a, he's one of those LeBron stands who's basically the worst. Yeah, but he's like, yeah, he's, he's another Skip Bayless, you know? He's hot takes all the time, you know? He, he shits on the Patriots all the time, so, you know, he, he refuses to say that Brady's great, so Pats fans all hate him. Um, but he, 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 he was great. I mean, Tony Gonzalez was, was, was special. Tony Gonzalez never had Tom Brady thrown to him. You know, you got to remember that too. Um, you know, Gronk had a great quarterback, but, um, but yeah, I mean, Gronk's it, it, it's, it's, you can make an argument, especially as his postseason career, 78 catches. Um, it, it's un- unbelievable. He has, he has a season's worth of catches in the postseason, which is amazing. So where does he rank in, uh, as I say this with so much disdain, uh, where does he rank in terms of your uh, most beloved Patriots? Um, yeah, so you, you, I was thinking about this question before before the show. Um, you know, obviously Brady's up there, Belichick. Um, I happen, my favorite player on the Patriots, uh, this is uh, going to be the, the most random thing you've ever heard. Uh, for, and those who don't know me will be very random, but those who know me know I'm obsessed with him. I am obsessed with James Devlin, the fullback of the Patriots. Um, you PFT commenter, get, get your own slant. I, I, I was obsessed with him long before PMT. He's been on, he's been on the team pre-PMT. Um, and he, he's just, apparently he's like, they say he's like five pounds too small to be a linebacker. So they just put him in the backfield. And I just, I love everything about him. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, Gronk's there. I mean, you know, you have Teddy Bruschi, William McGinnis, all the old school Patriot players that I, I grew up with um, as well. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, like I, 
it's so he's just such a unique player, such a unique personality. Um, he, he's certainly, I mean, easily in the top ten. Um, he could crack a top five for for beloved Patriots for sure. Um, and I think how much they miss him this year is going to also dictate how beloved he is as well, um, because it's going to be so immediate. That hole is going to be so immediate for them, and, and he's going to really, really be missed. They, they, it could be when you get to Week 10, Week 11, Aaron, that that, that Pats fans are begging for him to come out of retirement. Oh, God. Uh, I, I don't like admitting this, but because it's it's Rob Gronkowski, I it's love Gronk, Rob. It's Gronk. It's, he's the best. I, I love everything Rob Gronkowski. I do own a... Barstool Sports T-shirt that says "Yo Soy Fiesta", Yo soy fiesta. number eighty-seven. I love that's Gronk. a great video. That's oh, a great video. He's, he's just a delight. All right, before I get even more mad at you, how about you go listen to episode forty-four? I was so going to say can, I owe uh, you an episode. I, yeah, I I, I I owe you an episode. I'm gonna go listen. I, I, it, it's tough. It, 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 I feel like that was just a, just uh, an episode of pure depression. I, I don't even know where to where to start with you. Well, it you was. Get, it was March Madness preview, but there was a lot of depression there. It, how about this? Before I get more mad at you, I'll, we'll hang up and you go. You can hear my thoughts. You got it. You All got right. it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'll speak to you later. Uh, see All you, right. bud. All right. Thanks again to my uh, esteemed guest, uh, recurring guest, Jordan Marks. Uh, always love talking NCAA tournament with him. And, yeah, Zach Weiner needs to, to do some homework, but uh, wanted to at least chat with him about uh, – Rob Gronkowski retiring. That's episode 45 for the love of the game. Take us out. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel and I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.